0: Hey everyone, and welcome to our first ever episode of United States from Australia. This week, we'll be speaking with Christian Thurston from SearchEye. Christian has been through an amazing journey between Australia and America, and I'm excited to dig in today. Christian, welcome to the
1: show. Thanks, Ankit. It's good to to see you again, man. Good to catch up.
0: (laughs) You too, mate. You too. Well, Christian, uh, first up, so tell us about your journey to getting your visa initially and moving to America. And what inspired you to make the leap? Happy
1: to jump in and I'm very much enjoying your uh, podcast voice. It's a lot of fun. Um, so uh, yeah, how I, <laughs> I guess, how did I first get to America and the, the first visa? Um, plenty of visas over the years. Um, I think I've, I've had like a whole bunch of different ones, which are really funny. And I've had some strange customs experiences because of that. Like I, I used to have a B1, B2, and uh, which is like, uh, mm-hmm. I think they're probably more common now, but they were like Australians just didn't need them. And um, that's because like one time I arrived in the U.S. by boat. And if the boat's not registered on Canadian or U.S. flag, they you, you, you're ineligible for the ESTA, So you have to get this B1, B2. And so actually when I first flew to America, it was under that visa. And um, the customs officer, uh, he, he asked me, like he's like, you're Australian. Why did you get this B1, B2 visa in like the Dominican Republic. And, um, I was like, I, I told him that rule. He's like, oh yeah, of course. He's like, I used to work customs in San Diego. And, uh, and then he started <laughs> asking me and he asked me about that sailing trip I'd been on. Cause it was a really neat trip. Uh, I was very lucky to do with my dad from Brazil to New York, uh, which is awesome. And he goes, oh, wow. Uh, and so he started asking me all about that. And, um, it was a really cordial friendly conversation, which made me super nervous. Cause. Like, I, I'm just, I get so nervous around customs. So, uh, and I actually, on my most recent, U uh, S customs experience, whew, the guy chewed me out. Uh, that's another story <laughs> entirely. So it's not, it's not yeah. totally unjustified, but, um, but yeah, so basically th- that main time I spent in the United States, uh, what happened was I was part of the Startmate 2014 program, um, with my co-founder Adam Dilmacki and we were doing a company called Sporthold, which didn't work in the end, but, uh, as a part of that accelerator event, so as a startup accelerator based in Sydney, we did a a bunch of demo days in Sydney, then in Melbourne, uh, and then we had some demo days in uh, San Francisco and Silicon Valley. And so that's why we were going over. And what we did was we booked our flights out and we had our return for about three months later. So within the 90 days that you're allowed to stay, because we figured we don't know when we're going to be flying back. Um, but we know that that date's going to change. And so instead of like constantly changing it and getting, you know, airline fees, we just had it as like, you know, three months out. Um, and so, yeah, we, we came, we did, uh, we did our demo day pitches, uh, at one point we we're out in Vegas cause we were like sports betting related. And so we thought we may be based out there. And then, uh, I would normally do the pitches, but that time my co-founder did the pitch and he didn't, he did a. Uh, at 500 Startups headquarters, they were hosting an event. And, um, you know, uh, he, he could pitch it. You know, it was originally his business and he invited me to join. So he was great yeah. at pitching it as well. Um, and uh, what happened was Dave McClure was there because this was 500 Startups in Mountain View. And uh, I think Dave McClure was a little bit tipsy. And so, of like the eight Australian companies <laughs> that pitched, he invited four of us to come back um, for an interview. And yeah. I couldn't fly back because it was like the next day. So, I was on my way flying back and I think they offered us a slot in their 500 startups accelerator in the room. And so I remember being at McCarran Airport in Las Vegas when my co-founder gave me this call that we'd gotten accepted. And so I said, you know, it was pretty easy decision for us. We we went ahead and did it. The money was good, terms were good. Um, Even though we'd just done one accelerator, uh, we thought, hey, let's do this thing in America. Um, And it's one of those moments I look back on and Um, I knew it was a big deal at the time and I was excited, but it's, you know, I sort of look back and if you, if you had to, if I had to make a list of like 10 moments that my life like changed, like, you know, you know, a a real fork in the road, that would have been, that was one of them that turned out because we never ended up taking those flights back home. And I spent the next four years in the United States. And then my co-founder, Adam Dillmacki, he's still there. Uh, he's like, I mean, he's been back for holidays, but, um, I don't know if he's marrying engaged one of those two to his wife uh fiance um based in um the u.s uh going through the green card process and everything so um yeah that was and and so uh i'm so bearing the lead a little bit here but what ended up happening was once we got acceptance at accelerator we realized we're going to have to need some kind of work visa um yep. so uh and we, we we realized we're going to stay in the u.s for yeah, you know, base the base the company there. So we moved the company there. Did the flip up? Um, we actually flipped up to a US entity. I think before we even got on the plane because it was just a better investment vehicle. Um, and we even we raised a little bit of money coming out of five hundred startups, but not not a lot. We had a few angels invest, which was really cool. Like the first engineer at LinkedIn. Um, so that that was quite not amazing. Neat. But yeah, yep. but we were so green, and I, I, you know, I look back now, and you know. <laughs> Like, I wouldn't say I'm a great fundraiser now necessarily, but, yeah, I mean, you know, it was kindergarten back then uh, in terms of skill level, I would say. So, um, So yeah, and then what ended up happening was we knew about the E3 visas and there were some uh, immigration lawyers that had a relationship with 500 Startups and they came and get it, did a talk at the office because it's quite an international accelerator. Yeah. And um, they quoted us something, they quoted us like $2,000, something to to do the visa paperwork and we like for us we were so like scrappy we're like two thousand dollars like we thought that was really expensive like we didn't want to spend that much money on lawyers like we thought we were kind of like getting gouged whereas like like anybody who's worked with lawyers knows that's that's like four hours like for most law firms so that's actually pretty reasonable but um that said a huge shout out to jeff mcqueen um he's probably gonna get a lot of shout outs on this podcast from rightly so because that that, there's a famous blog post, at least famous amongst Australians in the Bay area, um, basically on, on how to do all the visa paperwork yourself, if you want for the E3 visa, which, and yeah. we can get into discussing the E3. Um, but if you, you know, for the audience, if they're interested in going to the U S you have to know about the E3 visa. Um, so, uh, we basically then offered each other a job each. So like I offered a job to my co-founder as like a representative of the company and he offered a job to me like legally we just thought that would be neater although you can technically offer yourself a job from yourself um if you have a US entity <laughs> and so that's yep. that's what we do we do all the paperwork ourselves um I probably messed up with the choosing the job title I got a mathematics degree so I just called myself a mathematician but turns out operations research analyst is like the catch-all title that all my other visas ended up Going under when uh, when I did have a like proper lawyer handle it with like at subsequent companies, Um, and then he was a graphic designer because that was his background. And so we're like really grateful. Like the main point, the main thing you got to get right in that visa is that your um, the job title in that zip code you're you're not putting downward pressure on wages. So you kind of looking, you want to make sure that the job is like a how do I put it like a low low pay for that zip code job. Um so, you know, when when you're co-founders, you're gonna be accurate about what you do. And and I, you know, I w- was running this algorithm. So it was correct, but there were just a few job titles that, you know, would have been about equally accurate. So so that yep. worked out quite well. Um and flew back to Sydney, did the interview. A lot of people say you have to fly back to Australia. I, I did not think so. I, but there is some truth if you go to a consulate or embassy to do your interview and they're not familiar with the e3 visa then they're going to they they might just say look we can't process it we're not rejecting it but we're just not accepting this interview and so you might have to go to another country after that but i think more and more of the embassies and consulates are familiar especially if they're in like the americas somewhere like canada or mexico or colombia or something um so yeah and and so i think i always have in the back of my head that i wanted to end up living in america and and, and being in silicon valley like that was in 20, uh, I think it was 2014. Uh, yep. And in 2012, at the end of that sailing trip, I'd been there and I was I was so tempted to, uh, I had a stopover in SF just for a couple of hours in the airport, but I was incredibly tempted to just, uh, even though I only had like 20 bucks in my pocket kind of thing at that point, to you know sort of strike out in Silicon Valley, sleep on some couches and see if I could make something happen. And I think that could have worked as well. But in my mind, I wanted to earn the right to get, I wanted to sort of see if I couldn't achieve what I wanted to achieve in Sydney first. Um, but you know, it's a much larger ecosystem in Sydney, but it still doesn't compare to Silicon
0: Valley. So that's my, um,
1: yeah, that's my answer to your very straightforward, simple question.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, I think, uh, thank you for sharing that. You know, I, I still remember the time, uh, I myself, uh, went to the San Francisco, uh, went on the tourist visa, basically had three months to find a role, I gave myself mm. two months and got the job offer a week before I was supposed to fly back to London where I was originally living. Uh, yeah. So, sometimes things do work out uh, unexpectedly. So, um, you know, great to hear that story.
1: Yeah, um, I think I think what you're also referring to a bit, like I always used to think of it as sticking the landing because after, you know, you and I both lived there for several years. Um, that's how we know each other, obviously. But, um, you know, we I think... I, you, I would see this all the time um, with the Aussies I met and interacted with. Um, mm-hmm. There were a lot of folks who came over and basically a lot of people came with a much more intentionality than we had. Um, but most people are coming over and not founders and entrepreneurs um, necessarily. Like that's actually a pretty small minority. And then, so some of those people are like professionals and they do want to be in the tech world and they may want to be a founder someday. But that's not yep. what they're looking to do today kind of thing. And I always used to refer to it in my mind as like sticking the landing. Like you kind of have this like time window to get the pieces right if you want to stay uh, and work in the United States. And so kind of under a timeline pressure, which can be good for creating urgency, but the, and we can get into this in a sec, I guess, but the, yeah, as you know, like the culture of California in particular, um, be it like uh, the entertainment industry in, in LA, which I haven't experienced, but I've heard about, um, or the tech experience in San Francisco, there's this great interview where like Russell Crowe was talking about his time in Hollywood. And he goes, you gotta be really careful. They'll nice you to death. And, um, you know, <laughs> the, and he said, what you'll do yeah. is you, you'll just go on a bunch of coffee meetings and this kind of thing. And everyone will just say all these positive things. And, yeah. um, you know, this happens particularly in like investing. Cause um, if you've, if you're a startup founder, no one, no investor fully knows whether or not you're going to be uh, a big deal or not and there are like Mm -hmm. a lot of stories of like so sean parker for example had a bad experience with sequoia and then when he was advising mark zuckerberg like that's why they i think uh they didn't go with sequoia for that reason if i recall correctly and um so like this one other relationship like out of spite kind of led to this this firm missing out on like a massive deal. So they're very cautious. They don't want to upset or alienate anyone. So they want to keep their options open. So even if they think you suck or your idea sucks, they'll never tell you. They'll just say, oh my God, this is great. We really love it. I I think what you're doing is awesome. You're a little bit early for us right now, but um, you know, (laughs) so you can, so uh, it's tricky because That Australians tend to be optimistic and like, but we like to hear nice things just like anyone else. And so I I did see a lot of folks who thought they were making more progress than they were because people were saying nice things to them. Um, So I think that can apply, especially if you're, I never, I was never really job hunting that. I did job hunt a little bit at one point in the US, but um, it was a different kettle of fish. So I think that's probably something if there are folks listening who are thinking of going to the US, just sort of be aware of. Like it's a. Whereas if you if you're migrating to like northeastern America in New York and whatever, I don't think you're going to deal with that nearly as much. I, I think from what I've heard, they're they're much more direct.
0: Yeah, and and you know totally totally right. I mean, <clears throat> I've had experiences also being in LA uh, mm-hmm. for a period of time um, in the media side of the business where right yeah you meet you meet agents, you meet you meet actors, actresses, <laughs> uh, and and you know everyone wants to kind of hear what whatever they want to hear and it's not necessarily good or bad advice it's more so uh just to in some sense keep your hopes up so you really need to kind of understand and and read between the lines of you know is this progress or is this just having a chat um so totally good tip there i remember Um, being out
1: drinking in uh not heavily or anything but in in vegas i think it was and we met these guys who were doing like a. it's like it's like an early venture firm or something out of uh salt lake city of all places um and they weren't mormon though which is kind of interesting and they were like they were so enthusiastic about what we we're doing and they were like so adamant that they were going to invest in us and that they were going to email us the next day and yeah. i was like in my mind i'm like this is this is awesome this is a lock this is great and uh i'm still waiting for that email like i re- i pulled <laughs> I up with them i you know i was like Oh, Oh, gosh, that's what people mean. Like you really until you see action, it's just, you know, you don't want to be cynical um, and you you kind of have to inflate and play that game a bit if you're going to adapt and be successful in the US. But you've got to do what they do, which is like internally have your own um, alignment with what's really going on. Um, Because the folks who grew up in the US, they understand this quite intuitively. Um, But look, to their credit. Um, And to the credit of the US culture, this hype, like constant bias toward hype um, and believing in hype, it becomes Mm -hmm. self-fulfilling, which is why I think they do spectacle and um, self-fulfilling prophecy often so well. It doesn't always work, but it's probably, I don't know. I think the challenge we have in the US, and and perhaps this is a pretty Commonwealth thing, is we're like, oh, that, that won't take off or like this default skepticism. And then yeah. kind of nothing does if you if you have that view, whereas like in the US, everyone just kind of buys in so much more easily to like the spectacle and, and things like that. Um, it, it causes issues in other parts of the society for sure. But um, yeah. I think that, that that has something to do with why it's, it's had such outlier success in the fields of entertainment and technology.
0: Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Sometimes it is good to be the loudest in the room. <laughs> so uh, yeah, totally makes sense. Why not? Um, all right, so, well, let's talk about U.S. then. So, what did you love about living in America?
1: So, um, I, you know, I think that's an interesting one for me. I, I have... So, I was living in San Francisco Bay Area, which is America, but it's a very, very narrow, specific version of the United States. And yeah. so, what I... I mean, I love the really simple things. Um, for me, it was that... No matter how long I ever spend in the United States, I still have a bit of, uh, a bit of like wonderment about the whole thing, which I think surprises a lot of the other folks I know who've lived in the U S cause they'll focus. Sometimes they'll really talk about things that they, that are not great necessarily in America. Um, (laughs) and they sort of go, um, you know, I'm really happy to be back in Australia, so I don't have to worry about this or that. And then, um, Whereas for me, I, I don't know, it's something about always feeling like I'm in a movie somehow. Um, that never goes away for me when I'm in the US. So, there's so if you sort of feel like you're in a movie a little bit, like that gives yeah. you a bit of like, I don't know, you feel like you're doing something just by being there. Um, and I, I, I've been fortunate enough to travel a bit. I don't get that with many other places. I think I got it when I was in London, although I haven't been there since 2001. So, half of me, oh well, no, wait, 2008. So, it's hard for me to comment. Yep. Um, but to be more specific to your question, I, in the pay area, I love just the sheer number of world-class events that you can go to. Um, that was really cool. And yep. sort of when I, when I had a suspicion that, you know, I was like, you know, I think I might be moving on, um, from the yeah. US soon, you know, cause it's in the back of your head. You're always trying to figure out, figure that out. Um, and that, uh, I, I really made a point to push myself to go out and do way more things. Um, yeah. And so the one I really enjoyed, for example, was on a Thursday night, I went to this Hans Zimmer concert at the Greek theater in Berkeley. And it was incredible. Uh, I I mean, it was just, you know, he's playing the whole, the soundtracks that you you all, you know, and love, you know, he's got like the Gladiator one, the Inception theme song, even Blade Runner. You know, he's just done so many great things. And there was this moment at the concert where like one of the songs is like, sort of tapering off and powering down and it's lulling you into this more calm mood and then suddenly like lights go on like full blast (laughs) and there's like an african choir on the stage and like what gets belted out is you know and it's like the the lion king (laughs) it's just like full blast and the whole the crowd just goes nuts like a touchdown has been scored and uh you know it was like such a well-produced timed kind of moment like you're like oh yeah, yeah. like ev- everyone's gonna talk about that moment the next day about the concert and um it just rolls through town as another date on that tour and it's yeah. like it's a thursday night it's not like I, I, did, I they probably did the weekend there i don't even know but they might not have and that's the thing you just won't get in other parts of the world as much um or back in australia like that would be like one of the events of the summer if han zimmer was in town touring like yeah. you know what i mean and so Whereas this was just another Thursday night. And and so access to like just the frequency of those events was I, I mean, I love that. And um, that feels you feel very catered to. I, I think as well, like some of the things that are pretty cliche, I also really like, for example, Costco. Um, Costco is just I mean, we do have it in Australia. It's not a common but I would encourage anyone to look into if they have a Costco near them and to join up. I'm such a big Costco fan. Cause like- (laughs) (laughs) I can tell. Yeah, the economies of scale and things like that, you can really, you could just so dramatically drop your cost of living there. And especially if you're not in the Bay area, I mean, like you do rent versus buy calculators and there are parts of America where you should rent and parts of America where you should buy, if you're just going back economics. In Australia, there's like nowhere that you should buy basically. If you're just going off the economics, like it's such yep. a better deal to be a renter, um, even though we glorify home ownership. And so, uh, but having said that, if you want to buy in the US, there's still like, they, they think it's crazy expensive, but you could like buy a property for 150K and it's like a three bedroom. Like I was looking at one in Green Bay that was like, Ugh. it was renting for 1300 a month and it like, it was going for $120,000. And, and you, you know, think about that. If you just take the currency exchange out of it. Like w- yep. what Australian property could you buy where it's like renting for $450, $500 a, a week and it costs you 120000 to acquire that property? Like just forget yeah. it. So I think real estate, like US real estate is like the eighth greatest wonder of the world and still is. Um, if you just want to be, if you're not like, if you think you're not very bright or if you think you are very bright, either way, if you want to make a lot of money without having to like flex your intelligence. Just go into u.s real estate like that's all you really like that's the cheat code right there and so yeah uh, The i think the thing i love most is even if it's like got issues as a society um and i fully admit that it does it's still an incredible place of opportunity and so the just big markets so no matter what you're doing it, it, even if it's really niche it's also really big in the us whereas it's the opposite in australia no matter what you're doing even if it's like really broad it's still very like small market unless it's like one of the like six or seven main industries that are actually multi-billion dollar in our country. So I think that's why I have so much fintech and digital marketing. Um, But then the really simple things I really love as well. I mean, it's incredibly beautiful in terms of their national parks. There's so much to see. Um, The uh, diners, man, 24 hour diners. That's like one of my favorite things on earth. Although I've cleaned up my diet in the past few years. So I I don't know (laughs) if I enjoy them as much now, but still just getting an omelet it's cheap. Because like in Sydney we have incredible cafe culture and across Australia we tend to and I mean it's yep. phenomenal the quality of food we have it's 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 up there with any other country um, it's right at the top but um but they all give you something that you can't cook yourself I just chose not to cook myself it's not that I can't um like I have but I went like years in the United States without cooking from home and so <laughs> I, I don't think that's good for you but um, but you can pay like. I don't know now with inflation, but then you could pay like 10 bucks and get like bacon and eggs. And it's about the standard you could cook yourself, but you get the convenience. So man, there's yeah. just a lot of things I really loved. I think most of all though, like there's something about the just um man, Americas are fascinating. They're just fascinating. Like no one thinks the way they do. Um yeah for better or for worse, and it's just always entertaining. So I guess to come full circle, it's like being in a movie. But I have such great American friends um, and they're quite different from each other. Although there is some similarity within the tech friends. But um, you get that sense in the US that when you talk to people, um, you know, the conversation just can take a left turn at any moment. And they can be so totally different from what you thought they were going to say and in ways that are just surprising, shocking, and, and kind of fascinating all at once. Um, and you yeah. have that pretty frequently. And so I do like, I would say the diversity of ideas that goes on there um, in a way where I feel that in Australia we're a lot more, I don't know, I felt this more during the pandemic perhaps um, when I was back in Sydney, but um, with like the, there's just not a lot of divergence from mainstream thinking and it's, it's becoming more and more um, normative and, uh, yep. like less and less, um, less and less interested or open to heterodox ideas. And so mm-hmm. that, I, th- you know, that kind of, that got kind of, that kind of bothers me a little bit in Australia. Um, but yeah, in the U S just people are like pretty wild. Um, and so I kind of like you run across more characters and personalities. Um, although Hank said that maybe if I just drove further out of Sydney um that that might do the trick too so another <laughs> yeah, short answer uh... to another short question <laughs> <laughs>
0: go ahead i mean you know i i uh i absolutely love the point you make about uh the events that occur in uh, in u.s i mean no matter which city you're in something yeah. will be on right whether it's music uh whether it's you know oh, tech comedy, the field man. we work in i love in. comedy uh yeah whether it's comedy nights wow i mean one of my favorite moments was uh even though this was towards kind of the latter stage of the pandemic is going to uh uh being in new york and going to comedy nights there i mean oh,
1: incredible right
0: you know it's in the heart of the city uh you get acts that you see on netflix specials or or you see online mm-hmm. and uh i mean where else where else do you get that right so yeah yep. that's probably one of the beautiful things uh of living there uh, even for myself just that um, and the other
1: stuff i mentioned
0: <laughs> and and, and couple more things especially the diners i'll take the diners one i mean that the concept of a diner is just the fact yeah. that you can go somewhere potentially 24 7 or any time of the mm-hmm. day or night um uh, and this is mind you before we had all these uber eats and doordash right and yeah. and you have everything available on demand i mean this was like going down to your local neighborhood and having a meal and uh that's that's probably one of the things i miss actually uh you know coming back to australia recently so I, yeah i also agree on that one well if you want to engineer your own lifestyle to
1: be like fully optimized for whatever you're trying to achieve um diners and uh costco and like you know all these like cheap things you can get in the us at scale yeah. i mean they just they open up a lot of possibilities if you you know to kind of live a lifestyle that works best for you and i think so you know I, I, li- I used to live in Korea, for example, and when I was there, someone once mentioned to me, look, they go, there are some countries where it's great to be a consumer and some countries where it's great to be a worker. And I mm-hmm. thought about that. And it's, you know, in Australia, it's a great place to be a worker um, and it's become a better place to be a consumer. But it's still, I don't, I don't know if I would call it a great place to be a consumer, I think because of the economies of scale and a few things like that. And, you know, it's it's very metal on metal. I feel like it's hard to find a good deal sometimes. Um, yeah. Whereas in the U.S. And, and you know, and in Korea, for example, it was a great place to be a consumer. It was incredible, but it, not a great place to be a worker. And um, which makes sense, right? Because if wages yeah. are low, that makes you know consumption cheap. The U.S. Yeah. is one of those places where it's not it's not uniform across the country. But if you if you make if you do it right, it's an incredible place to be both a worker and a consumer. And that's really rare. And so I think that's why I'm sort of focusing on some of the like, I haven't mentioned what I, like, obviously the work opportunities are incredible there um, mm-hmm. and the business opportunities and, and so on. I think people are pretty aware of that, but it's also like understanding that, because we have a lot of those pretty good opportunities in Australia. Like you can get jobs that pay well um, if yeah. you work hard and all that. Um, but the consumption side, I think is where, like, it's it's an easy thing to gloss over and think of as trivial, but um, like even Mark Cuban, like one of the advices he could, one of the pieces of advice he gives to a lot of people, apparently, is to, um, you know, buy in bulk so you can lower your expenses. And and, and my, uh, I was talking to my co-founder recently about this. He goes, oh, yeah. I, he said a quote that he attributed to Cuban that I hadn't heard, which was, yeah, you know, it's, um, it's expensive to be poor, which yep. is uh, an interesting quote. And it's like, yeah, because then you can't buy in bulk. And so, but yeah, if you go to Costco, I mean, you can, gosh, like- I, like even here, I mean, I'm in Calgary right now as we record this, and because yep. I'm a co-founder in a Canadian company, but we go to we went to Costco to stock up for this offsite, and like <laughs> just buying like cartons of egg whites, um, or like um mushrooms, um, Yep. portobello <laughs> mushrooms. They're just it's yeah. like cheaper to buy six of them there than buy one at a Safeway, and even the one at Safeway is like half the cost of what you would pay for it in like a oh, Woolworths in Australia. So. You know, yeah, yeah. I, I guess I'm, uh, nope. I'm a van. I'm, am a good, I'm a good little capitalist
0: over here. I guess I would say, <laughs> spreading <laughs> no, the gospel. Very, very, very smart advice there. Very smart for sure. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, I guess what advice would you give to anyone who's thinking about moving to America, or you know, they've been sitting on the sidelines yeah. for a while? Any, any tips for for our listeners?
1: Yeah. Um. So I think that. I think i have to really draw a distinction that i lived there before the pandemic and i think that with remote work um i think a lot has probably changed in terms of the facts on the ground uh that it's a little hard i don't know if i don't know how valid my experiences are for someone thinking about this right now um i guess i'd put that caveat in there um i've heard that for example visa wait times are like up a lot um But I, and you can check, you can check government websites to the US government. You can see how long it takes to get an appointment. And, um, yeah, in Sydney, it's like six months for a non immigration visa. And then the E3 visa, which you kind of mentioned before, I, I won't go too deep into it. But basically, if you're Australian and you have a university degree, there's a visa you can get. So long as you have a job offer from a US company, you can go live and work in America. And then as long as you're not putting downward pressure on local wages, that's the thing they care about most. They don't want, they don't want companies importing talent and driving wages down for local american workers like that's that's so a lot of the rules yep. around the visas are related to that if if they seem odd to you when you're applying that's what they that's why they're that way um so uh but australia has uh an allocation of ten thousand five hundred of the e3 visa um we only australians are eligible for the e3 visa we get our own um Six thousand or something, probably fewer right now. Get applied for each year, so four thousand go begging. Um, and when the uh, Irish was saying, you know, maybe we could have some of that unused allocation, like I think Joe Hockey was like the Australian ambassador. He's like, yeah, you know, basically was like, no, butt out of it. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> but the reason we have this visa, as a quick history lesson, I suppose, is that uh, in you know it was part of the Counterterrorism um, Security Appropriations Act or something of like two thousand and three, like the Iraq War Congress bill um and yep. john howard and george bush were um not only really aligned ideology um but they actually were got along incredibly well like if you look into the history of it like he threw like a lot of events um for john howard at the white house that were very uncommon and, and almost never given to foreign heads of state so they were just like really good friends um i think deep down yep. um and so as part of that act there was this visa that was created for australians and only australians now um to, to put that in perspective, there's like 85,000 uh, H-1B visas. That's the typical visa that a foreigner would get if they're doing knowledge work in America. And 300,000 of them get applied for every year. So it's kind of a lottery system. And so really smart, highly qualified people miss out on going to the United States because there's not enough visas in that category. Um, and you can do yep. the right diversity visa, which is a green card lottery as well and things like that. But- if you're like a really smart person from Britain, um, it's either you you go for that visa lottery basically of the H1B um, and you're, probably gonna, you're most likely not going to get it um, or you can try and get like an O1 visa, which is like exceptional ability. But only Australians have this E3 and it's just like this golden ticket. Like, I mean, we're so incredibly lucky to get it. Um, yeah. And so uh, that, that would be the first thing to realize is it's actually, it's, it's as easy for us to go there. Like we're the, we've got the easiest um, visa sort of system um, to go to America of any country, I would say, um, except maybe Canada. Um, and the others who also have it easy, by the way, as a trivia note, it's like Singapore and Chile. Like they have their own carve out of the H1B just for them, which is kind of wild. Oh, wow. Like, I don't know I don't know the history of Chile, exactly that. That would be super interesting. Um, yeah. So who knows? But um, so I would say that Visa-wise, if you've got a degree, um, it should be quite easy, Um, especially if you have a degree in STEM. Um, And uh, this is not really to disparage uh, folks who don't have STEM degrees, but obviously if you have a degree in something that just isn't as connected to a job that's in demand, where they could just hire a local for that and it would be easier and they don't have to deal with the paperwork, um, then, you know, it's, you know, I guess, if you're pre-university, make sure you go after degrees that really tie tightly to the job market, I would suggest. Um, so, um, so I think if- the, but what I've heard of the wait times are high, but having said that, you don't have to do your interview in Australia. You could probably fly to- you could check around the world at different consulates and pick one in Latin America, I think, like Colombia, and they'll probably have a shorter wait time for non-immigrant visas, because E3 is technically a non-immigration visa. So- Yes. Um, so yeah. I would say probably best is to go over now, check with a lawyer. I I don't know what the terms are, but I think what I heard is legally, you can go and look for work on an ESTA, but you can't, um, obviously can't engage in any work. Having said that, if you tell them that at customs, they, I don't know. I I think legally they're not allowed to reject you based on that, but I, on the ground in terms of what's going to happen in reality, I think you're going to have a really hard time. I think they're going to grill you really hard. And as someone's yep. built, been grilled by customs before, like just a month ago, on a stopover, um, it's not fun. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it as a life experience to have. So, yep. and, you know, I was totally fine by the book, you know? Um, so, yeah, I, I would say go for it, though, if it's something you, th- you really want to do. Um, the challenge is really going to be a bit more around if you're applying for work which is the case for most australians going over then you uh the challenge you're going to have is a, a lot of companies probably don't want to bother with going because they just associate it being a high legal cost to do the um sponsorship and if you were doing an h1b visa it is a high cost and most employers do not know about the e3 visa i actually yeah. so i used to do a newsletter for australians who live in the bay area and so i've got a website called GoodASF.com. And up on that site, I created some infographics and some sample email text you could use to try and get around, like get, get the recruiter to understand that it's actually very cheap and easy to sponsor you. Um, cause like if the lawyer will cost them $2,000, which is not a high cost, especially when, you know, there's one, um, uh, right now it's an incredible hiring market as we're recording this in July, 2022. So there's, for every uh, two job openings, there's uh, one person looking for work. So yeah. there's so many unfilled openings. So I think that will help you find work. Um, I don't know how much longer that will continue given the probable recession we're going into. So so yeah, um, you should have no trouble if you're competent and, and but it's that cost thing. Because the H1B is super expensive from what I've heard for companies to go through and really painful. Whereas E3 is not, but most employers have never heard of an E3. So you kind of, that's why the infographics are there to try and help do the education piece. Um, Because if you take the lawyer cost out of it, for example, just the filing fees, it's like $300 to get an E3. It's nothing. Um, And so, whereas like the H1B, I think just in filing fees is like 4K or or something. I can't remember the numbers, they're in the infographic. So so there's that side, like that's the mechanics, I guess. Although now, and this is what I mean about COVID and my advice. I mean, now you probably a lot more companies would be willing to do that interview remotely. Um, back when I was working at a Silicon Valley company and I was part of a hiring process, uh, we used to fly candidates in even from London um, to do interviews. If if they were in computer science and we thought they were promising, we oh, were well. willing to foot that cost because, as yep. you know, like hiring engineers is incredibly competitive in Silicon Valley. So. Um, so, yeah, but I think now they'd probably be way more likely to hop on a call. You could probably line up everything from overseas. Um, yeah. And, uh, but, you know, I, I don't know what's happened with some of that because the E3 visa requires that you have a specific address that you go to work. And so I don't know what happened to that requirement in the pandemic um, because yeah, in theory, so yeah, go ahead.
0: I I, well, I might be able to answer that. I mean, uh, so when I was in the in US uh, at... In, in terms of getting the E three visa, they were a little bit lenient uh, on that front, yeah. in in terms of having the address and uh, where you're actually based and doing your interviews remotely. Um, the timeframes uh, were obviously longer to get your uh, embassy appointments. I mean, yeah. I saw some taking six to tw- six to twelve months, and and there were a lot of uh, uh, you know potential candidates who were missing out. Um, you couldn't really plan ahead. I'd say now is a is a Pretty decent time, uh, just mm-hmm. like you said. It's a strong market, um, uh, employment wise up there, uh, uh, and I think you don't necessarily have to go to the embassy here. I mean, there's other embassies around the world you can go uh, for your appointments. Um, in terms of the using a lawyer, I, I myself used a lawyer. You know, I didn't want to go down the path of doing the uh, application myself, and in many ways, I'm glad that I used a lawyer. Yes, I had to pay. <laughs> yeah a little bit more upfront, but, uh, every time I've used a lawyer for visa purposes, it's been a hundred percent success rate. So not to yeah. say that will happen to everyone, but, uh, it just takes away that one minor thing out of your mind that, you know, you know one less paperwork for you. So, um, obviously look at your circumstance uh, of, uh, what you're applying for. And, uh, you know, for my side, uh, definitely, uh, if, if it's easy to get, get, a, get a lawyer. Um yeah. you also mentioned a, a good point about talent, which actually leads into my next question. So uh, you know, as you know, Australia has a shortage of talent, especially in the tech sector at the moment. Uh so in your opinion, how can Australia remain competitive in the global market for talent? It's actually a
1: pretty good question. So a guy I know in Silicon Valley, his name's Ben Metcalf, he was mentioned in the Uber book. Um and a uh, really sharp guy, British guy, used to work in the UK. And at one point he sort of said to me, because he knew I was doing this good ASF stuff. Um, and and the mission of like good ASF, like in my mind, uh, you know, it's just a part-time hobby thing. But it was, um, I wanted to encourage more Australians to go and live and work in America and then take their skills back to Australia. But he said, you know, he goes, why are you like encouraging all these Australians to come over? Most of them are probably not going to go back. And you're just brain draining your own country. Um, and I was like, well, you know, he's got a point like (laughs) i think he's wrong that most (laughs) do go back honestly yeah but some percentage won't i'll meet a a girl or a guy or what have you and they'll end up staying in the us and so you know when i did that newsletter i used to have a question when people signed up where i just asked them like how did you end up in america so i ended up reading thousands of different people's stories about basically how they ended up in the bay area in in particular it was very very interesting like there was a huge generation divide where before Like there were a lot who came in the 70s, 80s who um, they were just traveling and they married an American and they they happened to live in the Bay Area. And so they weren't tech related at all. Whereas the more recent folks, a lot of them were tech related. And so I think that's a very Bay Area place specific thing, but it was really cool to hear all the different paths um, because it really exposed me to like, if you're a founder and you go to the US, you think everyone goes there as a founder. And so, you know we tend to sort of be in our bubbles like that. So this helped with that. Um, so that was really, mm-hmm. uh, interesting. Um, but yeah, uh, I think that, yeah, I, 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 I sort of wrestle with that a bit because I, w- I think that the thesis behind GetASF was technology is going to become a huge part of, um, prosperity and Australia is an incredibly pros- prosperous country like very high on a lot of rankings, um, for prosperity and things like that for that to continue. Um, we need to become a creator of technology, not just a consumer of technology. And technology yeah. itself as a, as an industry, and it, just this is inherent both at the product level and at the industrial level, um, it tends to have network effects, the compound. So um, what that basically means is, you know, there's the number one player, like the number one social network ends up having everybody. And so, you know, MySpace dies, mm-hmm. you know, something like that. Um, And so it's almost like there's going to be just very few countries probably that produce great technology at scale. And if you're not one of those countries, I think you're going to, I don't see how you can maintain the same relative quality of life that you, that we've had in Australia, for example, in terms of the rankings. Now that's okay. You can actually slip down the rankings and your um, objective quality of life goes up. Like even folks who are, um, I wouldn't say below the poverty line, but um, not doing as well in our societies today without being in total poverty. Um, mm-hmm. They still live better than, you know, people who like were pretty high upper, cl- like than most upper class people like 100 years ago. Um, so, you know, the objective quality of life can go up. And so that's why I think it's really important that as a country we do we do become a producer of technology. And I think technology is powered purely by talent. And so we just talked about some of the challenges, like- The dumbest thing i think the u.s like government system is doing is not brain draining the world um why they don't just basically um throw open the visa system for high skilled labor now i get it some folks will say but you know what about the unskilled labor and things like that that's a separate issue um i'm just talking about like really high skilled tech workers they should make it ridiculously easy for all of those people to move to the united states um, and it's so a good model for this is actually Canada. Um, and I'm co-founder in a Canadian company. And so as long as a Canadian a company is like majority Canadian owned, which we are, then um, that the grants they have here are ridiculous. Like you can get sixty to eighty five percent of your r and d costs reimbursed to you by the Canadian government. Okay. So in our case, we have an engineering team of like five or six people. and um you know, I won't get into specifics of our employees' numbers or anything like that. But you can just imagine, like with the numbers I gave you, if if you were paying, I'm just going to pick round numbers. If you were paying someone like 100K and the Australian government gave you 60K back, suddenly you can um, offer, you can start to attract talent from overseas. So Canada is doing an incredible job of brain draining um, and recruiting great engineers. And if you look at the Canadian tech ecosystem, it's incredible, like how quickly it's growing because of these, like, frankly, like absurd grants they have. Like we get marketing spend grants. We get so many different grants that are just so advantageous. And so that's why I've been able to bootstrap without raising venture capital for for as long as we have. We've got like an engineering team of like six people. Like good luck doing that anywhere else in the world without these kinds of supports. So, you know, I don't necessarily agree with all of the politics in Canada and things like that. But um, I think the difference is people here who pay about the same amount of taxes you do in other parts of the world in the Western world. They see what you feel like you see what you're getting for it. I think we feel that in Australia too. Whereas in the US, I think people aren't sure what they're getting in return. So, um, so yeah, I mean, this is a tough question, man, because I don't know what Australia should really do, but I can't help, but look at how we do things and just think there's no leadership and vision, um, for, for really carving that space out. We're just so focused on our more parochial issues and traditional industries. And, yes. and it's good that those industries get attention. I I don't, I don't begrudge that at all, but um, it, it's, it's almost like, you know, we're just so focused on this small thing while this ma- it's, you know, to use a startup analogy, it's like, you're building a social network just for like your town and you've like beaten and like Facebook is starting to take off and, and you're not doing anything. Like you're not learning yeah. anything from that and you're not like applying those lessons. So, I think that's what I'd feel, um, you know, or think, I should say. And uh, yeah, I think we need to, like, you know, wave a magic wand and I'm in charge. Please don't do that, by the way. (laughs) I'm just some idiot who talks on the internet. Like, let's keep it real. But um, I would be, you know, making it far easier to bring in um, foreign talent. Um, was it the 417 or something, 457 visa we have? 457, yeah. Yeah, I'd be dropping the costs, making it super easy to hire overseas talent, bring them into the country. Um, you know, like w- we don't have that many kids naturally. We need migration to grow as a country um, and to support all of our infrastructure. You want a big ta- tax base. And so it's it's in everyone's interest to do that. Um, and then, you know, you'd probably be, Creating more, you probably I would probably just model off of the Canadian system. I'm no expert in it, but my goodness, like you know, we plan to be a really big, um, successful company, and part of it, part of what pains me about that is that it'll be a Canadian company, not an Australian company. But as an entrepreneur uh, and a founder, I'm a founder first, and whatever nationality, gender, other identity you want to apply second. So I'm just going to do what's best for the business I'm creating. Um, and to serve our market and let the chips fall where they may. So that's, um, you know, I think that's, that's what you see with most founders. It's like, you know, you, you respond to incentives and and you, it's an unfair game. So you, you have to take advantage of of the things that work for you. So um, I didn't mean to filibuster Um, in case you hadn't noticed, I'm quite verbose and I can get on a run. So uh, (laughs) so what do you think, what do you think the uh, Aussies should do to keep talent?
0: (laughs) You know, I, I do agree with your points. I mean, one of the key things uh, I've been listening to from the sidelines, all these ease I've been away is how do we tackle innovation here in this country? And uh, reality is, you know, it, it partly comes from the government, you know, pushing for innovation, but also from the private sector. Um, and if you can't create your own talent internally, then yes, you need talent from overseas. Uh, yeah. and, and yes, we, we do need the visa structure to be simplified. I mean, um, for my understanding, the E3 visa is for uh, initially two years, but you can keep uh, extending it for a lifetime. Whereas the uh, mm-hmm. the visa to come to Australia, yep. uh, uh, I'm not sure if many Americans know this, but you can come to Australia uh, pretty easily on a one-year visa, and you could have a technically a, an extension for a second year um, with some uh, prerequisite requirements. Um, so, I, I encourage Americans, you know, thinking about making a move on their side uh, to, to give Australia a chance. I mean, Australia is a great country, there's a lot of beautiful beaches, it's an up and coming tech scene. So, there's a lot of uh, things that you can contribute uh, to the sector here. Um, but more importantly, you know, I think Australia is in the right trajectory um i mean 12 years ago when i had left there was no canva Uh, so you can imagine ever ever (laughs) since uh, the last decade has been has been great for growth here but this uh, industry tech industry specifically is still quite small here and and it needs to continue to grow if we want to be competitive in the landscape uh, in terms of the rest of the world so um, yeah that sounds
1: good man but i'm gonna keep it real like if you're a, like top Silicon Valley engineer, like give me the case for why I should move to Australia.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, number one reason is lifestyle. Yeah, lifestyle. It's that's
1: always going to be li- the reason.
0: That's, that, that's like,
1: But if you're <laughs> young and ambitious, and, you know, yeah. and I'm not saying you have to be young. I'm just saying that these, you know, you do the numbers. A lot of the folks who are willing to like, who really like throw themselves into their work and are like totally focused on it. Um, they're, not, they're not interested in lifestyle, man. I wasn't. I wanted to just work nonstop. I was a total work martyr. Um, yeah. That's what I wanted. I wanted to achieve and I wanted to, I, I wanted to throw myself. You know, I think startups are a really interesting phenomenon in our society. Um, the hard work and difficulty of it is not, um, is not a bug. It's a feature. Like that's, it's like, it's one of the two things you can do to reliably make really great friends as an adult. Which is kind of strange and that's not it's not consciously why i did it but i think that i think that there's some subconscious reason why people do it that's related to that um yeah. I, and to be real i think that's why young men seem to be drawn into it more um because i think they're just looking to test themselves or something like that because you know you could join the military i think that's the other reliable path but there's other reasons why you probably would want to do that um yeah. and so you sort of want the bulk discount advantage of like you have an exit and it goes really well like you've just like achieved in like three years, what it would take 30 in a more traditional path. So this, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting, um, reason why people join. And so I think if you want to look at how do you attract like really smart, ambitious young people, um, Paul Graham's written a great essay on this. I love his essays. Uh, I think they're like great reading for anybody, but he basically says, if you want to create a startup ecosystem, the, it's the same question as asking, how does a city attract a lot of young people? And so he was talking about how Pittsburgh could become a startup hub if they found a way to capture all of the young people and make them want to go there somehow. And so yeah. I think I think that's like the sneaky damage of ridiculous rules like the lockout laws, which is basically a moral panic. Like Australia seems to have like Australia seems to still have moral panic as a part of our public policy to a degree that mm-hmm. other countries just don't, um, which is very interesting. I, I don't know what it says about our about our culture. Um, but we, we seem to make very emotive legislation based on, you know, I, everyone responds to crises, but um, yeah. there seems to be this deference to a status quo, sort of non, non-expressed non vibe that, you know, it's just the vibe, you know, kind of thing. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so I, lifestyle is good and all, but I think you're going to end up hiring people who are a lagging indicator rather than a leading indicator. And what I mean is, like, you that might attract people who've achieved those things, so they have a great resume. But they're just, you know, as, you know, we were talking uh, recently about how when we were hanging out in Portland and I was telling, I was thinking of leaving the company I was working at. And from the outside, everyone was, you know, you're like, well, how would you leave that? It's, it's, it's a rocket ship. It's going so well. Um, yeah. And, uh, and, and Justin Kahn wrote a really interesting thing about how the public perception of a company is a lagging indicator. And the bigger the company, the more lagging. So if you think a company is great now, it's because of something they did two years ago that's just starting to. All of those um, things are coming to fruition now and they're observable now. And so it's the same whether it's going well or poorly. So um, so yeah, so I think if you if you are trying to get talent that looks that has the resume already, you're probably hiring behind the curve. Not always, but um, usually what really powers startups are like really smart, undervalued people who like big tech companies, don't know how to recognize the value of yet because they don't have a typical resume that they can identify at scale, right? So for us with hiring, for example, we look for people who have atypical paths because if they had a typical path and it was obvious that they were talented, why would they come work for us, right? Like we think we're a great company, but we can't offer the economics that other companies do right? And so they Mm -hmm. would go work for like a company that's got $50 million in series A funding that's growing whatever. And, you know, so like they would be getting hoarded by those folks and we look less interesting by comparison because it's like, Hey, you know, both of these look like interesting missions. I could get excited about either one of them typically. So like, but if one's offering me 2x, like am I 2x more excited about yours? I don't know. So, Yeah. yeah. So, all right. Didn't mean to cut you off to that quickly. Beyond lifestyle, what's the case?
0: Uh, well, I would say one of the other biggest ones um, mm-hmm. is uh, you could say the the tech sector here in Australia. It's still you know it's still at an early stage, and yeah. uh, the the reality is uh, anyone who's going to bring their skill set to this country is going to really contribute to the tech scene here. Going to really going to help it grow. So yeah. you know you think of Silicon Valley, you think of uh, even New York, Miami. They're pretty well established well matured yeah. on that curve, whereas Australia is not. So if anything, I think uh, bringing your talent here or, or bringing more talent internally within this country, you're about to shape the landscape of the tech sector here. And I think that adds a lot more value. Um, and you know, that's one of the reasons I moved back is not just because yes, okay, I've had my experience overseas, but hey, how can I contribute to the tech scene here uh, using my skill set and and the country that I love um, because I know it hasn't matured. And, and that's the exciting part really. So there's, there's going to be a lot more opportunities um, if anything, hopefully there'll be better visa opportunities for people coming from overseas, better R&D mm-hmm. grants, you know, just like you mentioned hopefully we'll be as competitive as Canada. I'm mm-hmm. sure if that will happen. I think that's actually a great scheme. Uh, but uh, but yes, there's a lot more to look forward to, right? Because we haven't matured. Uh, I think that's also a bit of a selling point. Uh, Maybe I mean
1: you could look yeah. at, I don't know if that I don't know if that works though because I think that's a cost more than a benefit. Like you're investing in something that other people will benefit from, and so I did not know. Like that makes sense if you are Australian or if you have ties to the country, but um, yeah. I mean, because an ecosystem needs like it's not about getting that first job in the ecosystem. It's about knowing that your next two or three jobs afterwards will be steps up within that ecosystem, and that what you did in that first job contributes to that. This is why the network effects are really hard to overcome. I think the startup community's typical response is to have government get out of the way in Australia, but Mm -hmm. I I would go further. And this is hard for me to say as like a small government kind of capitalist guy in general. But if there's a room for if there's like space for grants, this is where like if you if, if Australia is a company and you were trying to like win market share from another company that has network effects, you have to go above and beyond and offer something that like is incredibly attractive to get the yep. first people to come over. And so that would be the case for grants, and that's what's what Canada is doing. Um, so it bothers me to say that because I think it conflicts with like a lot of my other opinions. So I'm probably internally inconsistent or somewhat hypocritical, but I'm more a, hopefully a, a pragmatist above all. So. That I think that has to be part of it. It can't just be get out of the way. It's gotta be yeah. like create unfair, like create ridiculous reasons for people to just come here. And then they'll get into the lifestyle, um, which is great. Um, and that matters a lot. Um, I think like, look, you know, I- I'm not gonna pussyfoot around it. Most, most of tech is young men. Um, and so if you wanna attract that talent, the fact that like Sydney is not a tech town, like a w- only tech town, I think can help. You could actually find someone to date in sydney if you're a young man whereas like have fun doing that in sf like that's a reason san jose is called man jose you know what i'm saying so like <laughs> th- i think that's partly a reason um yeah if 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 our politics was a bit more diverse in its thought that might be another reason because there's a lot of folks i know in um sf who are very turned off by the extreme wokeism that they perceive in the industry um so I think that's why a lot of them are decamping to Miami and, and, um, and Austin. It's like a combination of things people don't want to say out loud, which is they're tired of the politics and they want to find someone that they can be in a relationship with. Um, uh, So I think there's that. Um, So, you know, I think, I think it's just a fundamentally hard problem though. Um, But certainly we've got to build up our own ecosystem internally. And it's funny, like you didn't say, 10 years ago, we didn't have a startup ecosystem and now we do. You're like, we didn't have Canva and now we do. So, like, <laughs> I love that Canva is so successful, but um, what's going to have to happen, and this happened after Google and Facebook in the Valley and that's why the Valley moved to SF, was a lot of those young people moved to San Francisco. Most people don't realize that like 20 years ago, you didn't live in SF. Like, there was no real startup or tech community in San Francisco itself. It was all yeah. down in the Valley. And um, what happened was young people want to live in cities. And so even though it's like 60 miles away or whatever it is, um, it's a distance to have to move. It's a different community. And so if you attract young people, um, and I think lifestyle does play some part in that, I'm not gonna deny it totally, then you can get people who are really interested in it. Um, And so I think ridiculous incentives, um, and then the people at Canva, they need to be really heavily incentivized, those millionaires who've got all their stock tied up. um, And when it goes public, they're not public yet, are they? They're still private, right? Oh,
0: yeah. No, yeah, yeah. I was I was hoping that it'd be public by now,
1: but uh, <laughs> so yeah, so you could actually one like, time. invest early. Instead <laughs> yeah. of investing late, no matter what. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> what it needs is for like a liquidity event to occur, and then for those forty, fifty people who are like Canva multimillionaires to um, start founding other companies in Sydney and not wanting to leave because they have roots in Australia. Um, yeah. and yeah. look, the I, I talk about young people powering tech. Like I'm fully aware that the research shows that um, between four, like the most successful cohort of founders between 40 and 50 um, yep. at the age at which they start the company. So, um, but it's it's more that it's that young energy that does a lot of the, the grunt work early on and, and is willing to do things that you would say are economically irrational for them, which means they're willing to throw themselves into a company with a low likelihood of success um, where their options are probably going to go to zero where they're for going like much higher compensation at a company like Google. Um, Like if you do the expected value equation of that, like if you're playing poker, you would never advise someone to take that bet. It's a bad bet. Um, But there's a knowledge that you'll get a network out of it of people that you're going to be very close with who are going to be really smart. And you're all going to go on, like when I do all the angel investments I've done, most of them have been in other people I worked with at Gigster because they were incredibly smart people, even though the company didn't work out as as we had all hoped it would. So, yep. um, but that when that, that liquidity event happens, and it didn't happen because with um, Atlassian in the same way, because um, for, they were incredibly progressive about even giving their employees options. The legislative framework made that incredibly hard for them to do, and they did it anyway. But I don't, I, I, I haven't heard, like, here's a sentence I haven't heard like, former Atlassian employee starts blah, blah, blah company. Um, Yeah, they may
0: exist. I might just be ignorant. Um, It's very
1: likely they exist and I'm just ignorant.
0: Yeah. Well, I'd say I'd say it's slowly happening. I'd say I've been back here for a few months now and I am starting to hear those stories come up. So it is. It's happening.
1: Yeah. I was back in Australia during the lockdown. And then in January, I got tired of waiting for people to stop living on pause. And I just got out and, um, you know, I've been sort of overseas since. But I would say I'm based in Sydney. And so yeah, I haven't been interacting as much. Although my neighbor in Sydney, a uh, good friend, um, Russian guy, works at Canva. Really smart. They're very early. And so, you know, um, But I, you know, I don't think he wants to be a founder. But I sort of want to encourage him to be a founder. <laughs> like, <laughs> selfishly. I think it's yeah. like, it's about taking the talent that we do have, the people that are there, and investing yep. in them. So, I think it's actually quite similar to, like, you know, Australian listeners who are into their sport, which is probably a lot of them. Um. You know, Rugby Union had a terrible playbook of just trying to poach the best talent from other codes. And it was kind of a marketing gimmick and it never stuck, right? Instead yeah. of actually investing in grassroots talent. And the AFL had a different model. And AFL, it's not this simplistic. I'm sure it's a lot of, you know, contributing factors. But there's a reason. I think that's the one of the key reasons why Rugby Union is, has been on such a decline and AFL has been doing so well. And so I yeah. would say you sort of want to have this academy grassroots system of investing in STEM in school um, making it easier for people who come up with technologies in Australian university to commercialize them Um, basically you know and this is where I put my like stereotypical capitalist hat on but get rid of the meddling bureaucrats who just you know want to charge the public tons of money to figure out how to divide the pie and don't create any value themselves they create negative value they slow everything down they just put a lot of barriers in people's way and we need to get rid of that and make it just much easier for, I mean, it sticks in their craw that someone maybe young who didn't follow the rules the way they did is going to be successful, but they have to, it's a lose-lose game if they get in everyone's way. And then, yeah, yeah. some ridiculous grants, which I know sounds contradictory because you have to create a bureaucracy to do that. I think those are the best cases, but yeah, investing yeah. in our own talent, pushing it really hard. We have such a great education system, I think, um, in general. And so there's no reason why we can't do it. It's just, we're starting off a small base. So yeah, we would both import talent and
0: invest heavily. And Absolutely. Uh, you know,
1: welcome to my TED talk.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. No, no, all, all very good pointers, by the way. Um, let's move on. So I guess you're living overseas now, uh, living in Canada. Um, you've well, lived no, in America. I live in Australia, I'm just visiting. Yeah, you, sorry. You. Yeah. you you're not, yeah, living in Australia, just visiting. And I guess yeah. you've been overseas, let's call it that. You've been overseas for a period of time, for many yeah. years uh, over the years. And so, what, what do you miss about Australia when you're overseas? What are some of the things?
1: There's a lot I miss. I mean, the obvious cliche answer, but it's so true. I just miss my family so much whenever I'm overseas. Um, we're really close. And like that, that's always been the hardest part for me by far. Um, yeah you know, you, you, you have to make these sacrifices and decisions. Um, if you're going to pursue anything in life that you, you really want to get after, it's going to come with some level of sacrifice, but especially as I've gotten older, that sacrifice does get harder and harder. Um, and I think that's just a fact of life. You have more responsibilities and, you know, things that were non-factors when I was in my twenties, by the way, I didn't really even discover startups until I was 30. So, you know, like, I, yep. I came to the game really late. And that's what—that's what's so great now about the, you know, access to information that people now have through YouTube and all these other things and podcasts. Like, it's fantastic. You know, I think had this been around when I was younger, I probably would have discovered that this this is the path for me instead of sort of being in corporate Australian jobs or teaching and things like that. And, you know, not not, not quite feeling that was where I needed to be. Um, but, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I think I missed that. I do miss our quality of life, although I think it was, for me personally, I found the COVID lockdowns very difficult and challenging. And um, I was incredibly disturbed by our our ready embrace of authoritarianism in that time, which I know will be a controversial opinion for some people. Maybe that's from what happens when you live in America for four years. You you (laughs) index more toward the freedom arguments, um, things like that. But I, I tend to... Yeah, I I don't I don't tend to like to trade like the appearance and feeling of security, um, you know, uh, just just by giving up giving up these rights so easily. I think it gives too much, it gives too much, uh, too many ideas to would be folks who would like to have more control than they should have. Um, so that that that's made my um, my relationship with my country a lot more challenging than it used to be. Um, yeah, and so I, I do worry about our creep toward protectionism and. Um, our obsession about harms, um, and yeah. perceived harms and, and I don't know, like, uh, discouraging heterodox thinking. Yeah. So that, that, but the question was, what do I miss? Yeah. So <laughs> family, yeah. um, going to the beach, just the simple things, simple lifestyle things. Uh, the food is great. Um, I think there's so much to be said as well. Like when I'm in these other countries, I'm on someone else's visa right? Yeah. And true. you never, even when I lived in America, I never felt fully settled because of that. Um, cause you, I, you feel like, well, you don't have rights really like as much. Yeah. It could always be revoked it, true. it could be taken away. Right. Not that I'm want to get into a bar fight, but if you, if something happened, like you got into some unexpected trouble, right? Like someone picked a fight with you and then like the cops believe their story or something like I'm making up really wild examples, but like that could become like a misdemeanor or a felony and you could be booted. Like yeah. nothing that you did you just be incredibly unlucky so um that that is what i enjoy as well knowing when i get to australia knowing like i don't have to like the cus there's nothing like cust- customs can't tell me i can't be there like that's actually it's a simple thing but it's really nice yeah. um i love the cricket man and look i don't i don't know any city that's better in summer than sydney like i'm probably <laughs> biased but Um, I think it's just like one of the most incredible cities in the world. It were it not for like the part of the world it's in like time zone wise, access to markets, things like that. Uh, it would just hands down be like, no brainer live there best city in the world. Like, and I think it already is despite those things. It's just, those would be like the cherry on top. Um, yeah. The best things in Sydney are like all the free stuff, man. Like just going to the beach and, um, enjoying, enjoying time with friends and family. You know, Absolutely. And I guess that's why those other things bothered me so much. Cause I see them as like an encroachment onto just doing the simple things that we all love, you know, that, yep. that have always been, the best part of Australia has always been that free stuff. And this idea, like in America, you can own a beach. And I yep. love that in Australia, you can't, you know, like, it's like, no, it belongs to everyone. So in that sense, yep. I am like a, a bit of a socialist. Um, the national parks are incredible in Australia too. And um, you know, most Australians, if you talk to them and like, they're pretty, like, compassionate, kind people who, yeah. who, who, you know, I think are just doing their best. And, like, you could say that about everywhere, honestly, to a large extent, but it's nice. Oh, the other thing that's so nice, man, is um, you'll probably experience this, too. Uh, I don't know if you have noticed, like, in America, when we used to get together for those Australian meetups and stuff like that, it was like I could switch off a part of my brain that was, like, having to think how I said things that I didn't yep. even realize was turned on. <laughs> I could yeah. just drop into, like, how we talk in Australia and the way that we communicate. And it was like, I could relax and it was a breath of fresh air. And that's what I enjoy about being in Australia. Um, True. I, man, I love, like, all the food, man. My goodness. Like, Malaysian food. Like... Yeah. That was the thing. Every, like, I quit coffee, which sounds heretical to most Australians, and hey, fair oh, enough. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I how did you do I that? In, I quit it <laughs> in America. Jeez. Well, I went to the doctor uh, because I had a heartburn or something and I don't, I didn't drink that much. Um, And he's like, you gotta, you gotta cut down on alcohol, coffee, and spicy food. And I like my spicy food. Like, uh, as you remember from Portland, um, and, uh, I like my spicy food, but I don't eat it that often necessarily. Not, not, not as often as I drink coffee and I didn't drink that much. So I was like, well, I guess it's the coffee and I kind of had a cold at the time. So I sort of went through withdrawal anyway. And so, yeah, I think I've had like one or two since then. I like- I like to break the streak every now and again, so it doesn't become like a part of my
0: identity. Yep. Like, oh, I don't drink coffee. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like- Well, um, you can- uh, you can check out Tim Hortons. Uh, I remember I have <laughs> fond, fond memories of Tim Hortons and a bagel in Canada, so. I
1: haven't been there yet. Um, but I, I just- don't worry, I swapped it for like my English breakfast tea addiction, which I've also recently so sort of quit as well. So, um, but yeah, so- <laughs> but as you remember, like the thing Australians most miss is- being able to find great coffee. That's the hard thing to find in America. Uh, yes. We are total coffee snobs. Fair enough. Yep. Um, and then the other one that was really surprising was, I don't know if you remember this, but finding a laxa. That was like the biggest concern Australians yes. in the Bay Area on the Facebook group had was, and it was like in my newsletter, it was almost like a running joke. But I would always link to that same Facebook thread on, you know, if anyone, if anyone can find a good laxer in the Bay Area, let us know. Um, if they're still looking. So uh man i love i love how uh asian australia is honestly um because you know the food the cultures the people like you know that's a very niche answer like you're supposed to say i think multiculturalism and not be specific i think that's like you get the more specific you get the more uncomfortable people get
0: (laughs) oh no no absolutely absolutely fine i think you're totally right about the malaysian food i mean great malaysian food here i myself have been scouring in melbourne to find great food here and i will say there's there's so many options so you know where, uh, next time you're down how about this next time you're down we will go down for at least a couple of luxes and some nice coffee so i'm excited for that well you can have the coffee um
1: <laughs> actually it's yeah, a really tea. special occasion then i like to <laughs> uh, and then i will have a, co- like a kind of market with a coffee you know what i mean yeah um, well, i love it i love it every time i've wanted to do that there's been no coffee around it's kind of it's kind of funny
0: yeah well uh christian you know this has been a fantastic chat um there's been some awesome tips far. here <laughs> we let the we let the listeners decide
1: and uh, yeah they tuned out a long time I, ago don't even worry about it we're just talking to each other right now <laughs>
0: absolutely well yeah. i do have a final question for you so okay and it's something fun uh so what one australian and one american snack would you recommend to our listeners and why
1: well, I think I'm going to start with the Australian snack. I think that one's the easier of them. I mean, I'm going to go with lamingtons. I'm going to skip the Tim Tams and say, oh, yeah, yeah if, you, if you're even that far and you've probably heard of Tim Tams, they are easy to get. But lamingtons, lamingtons are special, man. There's a spiritual element to a good lamington that uh, it's hard to describe. Um, I wouldn't call like if you could call uh, scones an Aussie snack. I think that's stretching it. But like I've yep. been in the country in Australia, where I've had some incredible scones. And, um, man, like that's, that's, that's like seeing the face of God. That makes me really happy. Um, (laughs) American snacks. You know, I'm not as much of a sweet tooth. So I know you mentioned to me that you might be asking me this question. Like I failed to think of anything, which is like sacrilege. It
0: uh, could be savory. It could be uh, something you munched on, uh, you know, whilst on your breaks or uh, while you were there. Yeah. So like.
1: Man, I tell you what, I never saw any of my like Ivy League colleagues at that startup get so impassioned about anything when they started modifying the snacks. And I just refused. (laughs) I refused to engage in that nonsense. I guess, I don't know if it's totally, if it's only, maybe we have these in Australia as well. It's hard to say, but Rice Krispie Squares. True. I really, it's simple. That's a good one. Yep. Yeah, I mean, both of mine that I gave you are like, they're served at like kindergartens. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> that sounds so wrong. But look, but it's they're just so like good. the kids' snacks is what I'm trying to yeah. say. I guess all snacks are in a way. But yeah, so yeah. They, they maybe they're the analogy to each other, you know. But yeah, those those were pretty good. Yeah. Awesome. How about you, man?
0: Awesome. I, mean, I know oh, everyone's going to ask. Yeah, well, yeah, obviously. Uh, maybe tease the uh,
1: listener. Maybe don't reveal it in the first episode. <laughs> Give him a cliffhanger.
0: <laughs> well, I'd, I'd say, I'd say uh, it, it's probably biscuit related. How about that? It's biscuit right. related. Both am, Australian and both American are biscuit related. So I'll be curious we'll, to hear we'll find answer. out. And notice we'll I, I said out. the listener. It's not plural. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Chris. I appreciate that.
1: No, well, I uh, gonna <laughs> stick at me more than you, mate. Trust me. <laughs> This is <laughs> well, like the Rogan interview I never had. So, you know, I'm living vicariously here.
0: <laughs> oh, no, this, you know, this this has been an awesome chat, I'll admit. And uh, so anyway, let's talk about you. So tell us what you've been up to recently and how our listeners can reach out to you if they have any questions on Visa or, or Canada mm-hmm. or U.S. or, you know, living overseas generally.
1: Oh, I guess probably LinkedIn or one of those platforms, um, maybe, maybe Twitter. I think I have my tweets on private. Cause like my, here's how I tweet. I like see things and reply to them. And then I delete before I even post and then I leave Twitter. That's like, yep. <laughs> cause I know it's just gonna like I have strong opinions and I know I'll get distracted and I'm a co-founder and I have time for those kind of conversations even if I find them interesting. Um, so like the political ones, I mean, or social ones. So, um, but it, yeah, if it's like other people reaching out um, yeah, just like find me on those platforms, I guess if you, you know, and reach out to me if you really want to, you will. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, I mean, I'm working on Search I, so I guess, you know, if you are doing anything in the world of SEO and you're curious, just look us up, SearchEye.io. Um, but otherwise, not really here to plug anything, just, um, I don't know, If I, I guess if I was going to say anything, just be kind, like, to someone today, like, that Great. goes a long way.
0: Thank, you know? Thanks, Chris. Uh, good good advice as always. Well, um, yeah, once again, thanks, Christian. Uh, you know, great chat, best of luck with everything. And uh, hopefully I can catch you soon here in Australia.
1: Will do, mate. Take care. You it's too, mate. Great.